I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Connection is everything, y'all. And it begins with birth. Recently, I was working with a family in one of my Becoming Us series and spoke about connection being the most basic human need. In fact, I think that Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid should add connection needs at the very bottom level. They asked me, but isn't connection the same as love and belonging needs? Now that's a pretty good question and I can understand the confusion, but I surprised even myself with how quickly I answered, no, connection is completely different. Y'all as humans, we are so vulnerable after being born that if there isn't at least one adult caregiver connected to us, we'd never make it out of the newborn stage. And I think that's an important thing to take in. We're ridiculously vulnerable from the moment of birth and unable to care for ourselves in any meaningful way. We're completely dependent on others to live. I don't think for a second that this is a mistake. I think our need for connection to one another is the reason that humans have been so successful as a species. And I think forgetting our interconnectedness to one another has the most potential to destroy us all. Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, Raising the next generation is hard, and all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. Before it's all said and done, I'm hoping I'll be known as the Chief of Connection. In my relatively short number of years on this earth, and through the literally thousands of families that I've worked with over my 25 plus years, helping prepare folks for the life-changing experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood, I've come to realize something important. Connection is where it's at. It is central to how we think, feel, and act in our day-to-day lives, and it's key to our health and well-being on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And this need for connection was deeply impacted by the global pandemic and isolation that came along with it. Now, I don't have a quick and easy solution, y'all, to the feelings of disconnect we're all dealing with on a global scale. I just want to validate those feelings as real, painful, and part of what's still underneath our attempts to move through the tremendous and collective grief from the past few years. Many of us lost loved ones or our livelihood or a sense of safety and security in a world that feels kind of upside down. I get it, y'all. I feel it too. But, as is my way, I remain hopeful. Hopeful that our collective desire to feel connected to something outside of ourselves will motivate us to do the work of turning inward, finding the courage to then look outward, and ultimately, to realize that connection to one another is the only way forward.
March 15th, 2020. The whole world, for lack of a better way to say it, shut down. I had my own worries, as did every other person around the globe, about how my children, my friends, and my family near and far would be affected by this global event. Our brains are designed to do just that under stress. Act out of concern for those we personally know and love. Our immediate circle. It's almost too much for us to consider anyone outside of that circle. At least at the very beginning. But my very close to second concern was for all the families that I consider to be my heroes. Expectant, newly parenting, or with children under the age of five. What were they going to do? Especially the ones who were bringing their first babies into the world. I'm so happy to say that because of that concern, within a month, the classes I teach in support of families all along the parenthood journey have been moved online. And while they weren't being offered in my preferred style, in person, at least families would have access to current evidence-based information at a critical time in their parenthood journey. Y'all, my heart was breaking at the thought of pregnant folks having to potentially labor on their own without the support of their partner, a loved one, or a doula by their side. And I literally couldn't imagine what that newly postpartum time was even going to look like when all the usual touch points for connection were taken away. But humans are nothing if not resourceful and adaptable. And these expectant and newly parenting folks somehow made it work. They cobbled it together, potted up with a few close friends or family, and took whatever kind of support they could find in whatever way it was offered. It certainly wasn't the ideal setup for people. Those folks who had signed up for what I believe is the most important and hardest work ever. But what about our most basic need for connection? during this time of such disconnect. What will the effects of this be as they play out over time? Thankfully, for the babies that were born in the last two plus years, their connection needs really do center around their parents. So they'll likely fare better than the adults and other caregivers who are parenting during the same time. After all, those little ones were able to have their connection needs met, maybe even more so than if their parents would have had to return to work outside of the home too soon after birth. But what about the parents? I think back to the days when I was new to this whole parenting gig, over 23 years ago, and how important my weekly gathering with nine other mamas was to my overall health and well-being as a new parent. We were an eclectic group of women from all over the city and from various working situations part-time, full-time, or full-time at home. And I can't even remember how we all met. But these people became a sort of lifeline for me in those early days, weeks, months, and then eventually years, as we'd gather on Mondays for a few hours at one another's house. These mornings were where we came together to provide each other with support as we figured out who we were now now that we'd been irrevocably changed by the experiences of pregnancy, birth, and new motherhood. This is where we celebrated new pregnancy announcements, discussed childhood milestones, and, if I'm being honest, bitched about our partners. It was a haven in the larger world of potential judgment and opinion about all things parenthood. It was where we experienced true connection, 
feeling seen, heard, and valued in our new roles. So when COVID hit, and the reality of this type of connection in real life was snatched away, I think many of us were left feeling like, well, thank goodness for Zoom. I mean, at least it was 2020, and much of the world had access to the technology that would allow for us to still experience some level of connection, despite not being able to be with one another in shared physical space. But let's be real. It is not the same thing, y'all. When we would gather together on those Monday mornings, initially with only one babe apiece, we'd settle in with our littles lying on the floor in front of us, clutching our coffees, and earnestly talking about how challenging it was to have a newborn. Later, when there were second babes all in carriers and snatched bits of conversation between chasing our toddlers or changing their dirty diapers, we continued to share the changes and challenges that came with moving from a family of three to four. Some of us went on to have a third and then a fourth baby. But by then, one of the partners, he's an engineer, had constructed for us an Excel spreadsheet that rotated us in and out of one another's homes in a way that was much more doable when only four to five families were gathering together at a time. It wasn't until our second kiddos had entered preschool that this group of mamas broke up. I'm still friends with all of them, even those who've moved away. The online world having kept us connected to one another long before COVID came along to make this the only way to connect. The piece that I think was so important about the circle of connection, y'all, was that it was face-to-face. We parented our kiddos differently from one another, but there was an unmistakable level of respect, kindness, and compassion for one another as we tried to make our way as new parents at a time when that matters so much. As we're all re-entering a post-COVID quarantine world, do we even remember how to do face-to-face interaction with strangers? Are we able to create connection with those who aren't a part of our immediate circle? For the sake of expecting and new parents everywhere, I sure hope so. Just when you thought your days of dating were done, you become a parent and it starts all over again. Wait, what? Y'all, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I love being part of the dating scene. It's super fun and not at all stressful or a waste of my time. In fact, if I could be a professional dater, that's what I would choose for myself. Have you? So whether you're a single parent kicking ass on your own or partnered and happy as hell that you've got someone to share the workload of parenthood, you might be really surprised to find yourself back in the dating game. Only this time, it's not happening at 1 a.m. in a club downtown, but 1 p.m. in the park down the street. Instead of balancing a red solo cup in one hand and taking selfies with the other, you're wearing a little baby strap to your chest and sipping on the largest cup of coffee you can consume without disrupting everybody's nap schedule. It happens, y'all. Your life has changed in huge and dramatic ways, and finding people who get it is a priority in terms of your overall adaptation to parenthood, which is why 
despite having friends and family who've had children before you, you still might need to get back out there and find new parent friends who have kiddos around the same age as yours. Why? Because the circumstances that surround your pregnancy, birth, and new parenthood experiences can be a little or a lot different in a relatively short period of time. Take, for example, what it might have looked like to become a parent in the middle of March in 2019 versus the middle of March just a year later. The two experiences, only 12 months apart, could not be more different from one another. Meeting folks who understand the specific challenges that you faced is incredibly helpful in making deep and lasting connections with them. There's a kind of shorthand that you can speak to one another and feel understood. There's no need to explain how things were different. They get it. They get you. Okay, so maybe you're getting the why it's so important to have new parent friends. The shift in self-identity, the isolation, the need to know and socialize with parents who are going through this huge life transformation around the same time as you. But now you're probably wanting to know the how of it all. COVID and the isolation that was a part of the period of quarantine we've all lived with over the past few years has made re-entry a little bit awkward. Even for those of you who are like me, an extreme avert. But if you're more of an introvert, then dating to find new parent friends might sound like volunteering for a root canal. Chit-chat at the park or making small talk before or after a music class is torture. But the payoffs of having new parent friends at this time in your life can be so rewarding that I would encourage you to think about it as an integral part to your overall health and well-being. It's as important as taking your vitamins, y'all. Start in your most local geographic area, your neighborhood. Knowing who your neighbors are and looking to them first for connection might seem like a no-brainer, but many of us don't even know the names of our neighbors on either side of our house. If you were to drop a note to the people who live adjacent to you, you might discover that there are potential new parent or even grandparent friends right next door. And if nothing else, you've made an introductory connection so that asking to borrow an onion for the dinner you're preparing doesn't have to feel quite so impossible. Check out any and all new parent groups in your area. Some hospitals or doula collectives offer them as a support to new families. There may be different kinds of groups available, so be choosy and find the one that's right for you and your family. A weekly group that's well facilitated, even if it's still online, y'all, can make all the difference between transitioning in a healthy way to normal challenges and changes that becoming a parent brings or developing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. Now, for sure, you will not instantly connect with all the other parents in this group. But even if you found only one new cool parent to hang out with, it would be worth it. What kid parent-friendly activities are available to you nearby? Does your local library have any book babies or family playtimes available? If your little one's older and you have the cash flow to support it, what music or art classes could you go to for connection with other parents or kiddos around the same age? If the weather allows for it, hang out at the same park consistently and at around the same time to see if there are other new parents doing the same. The familiarity of seeing the same faces over time might provide a little courage for this next step. This one's the clincher and has the most potential to strike fear straight into the hearts of any new parent, but especially the more introverted. Treat every interaction with a potential new parent friend as if it's a first date and strike up a little bit of conversation. 
Within minutes, you should be able to gauge whether you'd like to take this to the next level and then invite this person on a second date. Ask if they'd like to grab a cup of coffee nearby. Keep it easy and simple at first. No need to take it too soon or too fast. Cultivating a new relationship that has the potential to last should take some time and patience. Get to know one another slowly and with intention. See how compatible you are with one another. You don't have to agree on everything, y'all. But make sure that you do on the things that are deal breakers. If you really disagree on the big stuff, it's not ever going to work itself out. But y'all, if you do find your new parent friends, whether that be when you have a newborn, a toddler, a preschooler, or you finally seem to click with a couple of kindergarten mamas, know that there's a strong possibility that these connections could be the ones you count on to help you raise your little through every age and stage of childhood, right on into adulthood. As someone who relies heavily on the connections I've made with other parents over the years, some of them now spanning more than two decades, I can't tell you how important they've been in this incredible work we do of raising the next generation together. So, if the idea of dating to find new parent friends freaks you out, I get it, y'all but I promise you that you're not the only one on the search. And who knows, you just might find your new parent BFF. And when that happens, guess what? You get to finally take yourself off the market. Who would miss you if you were gone? If you didn't show up to work, didn't send out that newsletter, didn't make that sales call, didn't tweet that tweet, who would miss it? How does your answer shape the way you live your life? These were writing prompts I received a few years back from Seth Godin, and they can help us see how important our lives are and how we're all really interconnected. Here are my answers, but I encourage you to answer them for yourself. When I take a step back, I imagine my life, my little ordinary life, like a tiny pebble being tossed into a big, still pond. You can see the ripples reach all the way to the edges if you're willing to sit quietly and long enough to watch the water move and make space for this little pebble to do its thing. The most inner circle, the one that makes the biggest wave, would be my immediate family, my husband and four children. If I just stopped showing up for them, stopped doing my work as partner and mother, I know that I would definitely be missed. That's the nice thing about short bouts of illness or absence, y'all. You get to see just how much you're appreciated by those most directly impacted by your presence. The next ripple in the pond would be my family of origin. Now, we don't get to see each other as much as any of us would like, but they are the definition of home to me a place where I feel completely comfortable and accepted as my most authentic self. I know that I'll miss them all someday. I hate saying this, but I recognize the futility in believing that the people I love most in the world will live forever. Y'all, it makes me want to be a better daughter and sister to them while I still can. I have friends who would miss me, not in the same way my family might, but I'd like to imagine they might have a moment when they would think of me and smile, remembering some small kindness or, more likely, 
a ridiculous story that I share with them once upon a time. Moving farther out toward the edges of the pond, I think my immediate co-workers and others in the field of prenatal education would miss me if I didn't show up. I love working with these incredibly gifted and passionate folks who feel the same way that I do about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. I love geeking out about new information and feeling a sense of acceptance at my endless curiosity for the subject. After so many years doing this work, I have something to share with them in terms of experience and leadership, and I love that I continue to learn so much from them. And I would hope to be missed by my families, past, present, and future. That in some small way, the time we've spent together means something to them, as it always does for me. Maybe the words I've written or said aloud have provided comfort. Maybe my families have found a place where they feel safe and understood. All of my families have graced me with the honor of teaching them, and their impact on me has been huge, and not just as an educator. Every interaction I have with a family about to embark on their parenthood journey reminds me of the great vulnerability and connection we all share with one another. It fills me up again and again. I know just how much I would miss them if I lost the opportunity to connect with them about the wonders of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. On the very far edges of the pond, I'd like to believe that there are still ripples that go beyond what I can sense. Maybe it's the fact that We've got a certain season coming up, but this prompt makes me think of my all-time favorite holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life. If you've never seen it, please do. It will bring all of this into clear focus. Your life matters much more than you think it does. The world would be less, far less, if you were not in it. Each one of us, a tiny little pebble tossed into the big still pond of connection, create ripples of impact circles of influence, and change-making waves if we only sit quietly and long enough to witness the beauty of it all. What about you? If you stopped doing all the work you do in this world that impacts others around you, would you be missed? Sometimes just asking the question makes you realize just how valuable you truly are, how connected we all are, and that's a wonderful thing indeed. I've told y'all what a brain nerd I am, right? Just before the pandemic happened, I completed my master's level certificate in interpersonal neurobiology, an interdisciplinary field of study that invites all branches of science and other ways of knowing to come together and find the common principles to understanding human experience. It's heavy on the brain-mind relationship triad, and I couldn't love it anymore if I tried. One of my personal heroes, and one of the founders of this field of study, is Dr. Dan Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and the co-founder of the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. He's dedicated his life to exploring the power of the mind to integrate the brain and promote well-being. You may be asking yourself, what does any of this have to do with connection? And my simple answer would be, we. In case you're having a hard time understanding what I just said, I'm going to break it down for you. We is the concept of recognizing the me, which is also a part of the we. The differentiated self 
within the web of interconnectedness between all beings. Now, y'all, this might seem a little too esoteric for the average person to understand, but I believe we has the potential to inoculate us from an even greater threat than COVID, an epidemic of loneliness that is hitting the U.S. particularly hard. Loneliness, the subjective feeling of inadequate, meaningful connections with others, is so widespread in this country. Pre-COVID, 61% of Americans over the age of 18 reported feeling lonely. A major contributing factor to this epidemic includes our very American built-in ideal of independence and isolationism. It's so important that we remember the impact that chronic loneliness has on our physical and emotional health. Research shows that chronic loneliness on the cellular level elicits an immune response that promotes inflammation. And if the inflammation response becomes chronic, y'all, it can lead to the onset of a whole host of issues including cardiovascular disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's, as well as increase the rates of anxiety and depression. Loneliness is the root of so many of our personal and societal problems. When we do not feel like we belong, in our families, our schools, our places of worship, where we work, when we don't know who our neighbors are, or can't trust the people elected to office or those meant to keep us safe, When we forget our place in the web of connection at the local, city, state, national, and global levels, we forget an important truth. What affects one of us affects us all. Have you heard of the South African term Ubuntu? It can sometimes be translated as I am because we are. And Bishop Desmond Tutu is a champion of this term as it relates to humanity. He's been quoted as saying, you can't be human all by yourself. We think of ourselves far too frequently as just individuals separated from one another. Whereas you are connected and what you do affects the whole world. Yes, y'all, I could not agree more. So how do the concepts of Mui and Ubuntu intersect? Our experience of relationships and connection with others shape our individual minds and can foster well-being on a global scale. When we're surrounded by relationships, say within our new little family, that are based on warmth and a sense of connection that moves back and forth between us, the result is a brain that's more fully integrated, meaning we're able to access our whole brain. Our right and left hemispheres are balanced, and all the different parts of our brain are able to communicate with one another more effectively. We seem to others, and in fact, feel inside of ourselves, more put together. In short, the integrated brain results in increased compassion, kindness, and resilience. And when we have an integrated brain, we're more likely to be in a receptive state. We feel safe, seen like we belong. Our social engagement system kicks in, and we want to connect with others. And when we're in this receptive state, our mirror neurons come online. And these allow us to immediately and instinctively understand what another person is experiencing. Siegel writes about this phenomenon. 
Mirror neurons simulate the other within ourselves, creating an interdependent sense of self. It's how we can both be an I and also part of an us. This integration between ourselves and others promotes social intimacy and emotional connection. Y'all, those are the antidotes to loneliness and isolation. We are living in a pivotal time of history as human beings right now. With the divisiveness of our politics and the climate crisis threatening our long-term survival as a species, now is the time to turn toward one another with openness, curiosity, and respect instead of pushing away from those around us and acting out from a place of fear, scarcity, and judgment. When we embrace the power of we, of our interconnectedness with one another and all other beings, on this little blue marble we're living on in the middle of the impossibly vast universe, we might be able to see how supporting the health and well-being of others through connection can only increase the health and well-being of ourselves. Bringing this back to the immediate, the small, the doable. Y'all, start by embracing the we of you and your baby. This makes the concept more easy to understand when you're able to recognize the literal connection you shared in being one organism for close to a year. But then the umbilical cord got cut, and one became two. Yet you still remain connected, as science shows us, because the fetal cells stay within your body, ready to transform into cardiac cells or brain cells to help heal your broken heart or to help maintain healthy neuroplasticity. Within 72 hours of your baby's birth, mirror neurons in the brain prompt newborns to mimic the facial expressions that they see. When your baby is in that calm and quiet alert state, try sticking out your tongue and watch in wide-eyed wonder as they do the same. Y'all, our brains are wired for connection. It's what we instinctively know how to do. We can learn so much from our newborn babies. They come to us with all the secrets of the universe wrapped up into the goodness of their tiny, little, completely dependent and vulnerable selves. We only need to be open and curious to learn from them. That connection is everything. And it begins with birth. The following is an exercise for increasing connection. It comes from Greater Good in Action, science-based practices for a meaningful life. I'll include a downloadable version of this for those who want it, but if you'd like a facilitated version, you could always just play this back and hit pause after each question to give you time to answer. This exercise is designed to take some time, y'all, so plan on having at least 45 minutes each time you do this practice. And here's how to do it. Identify someone with whom you'd like to feel more connected to. It could be someone you know well, or someone you're just getting to know. Although this exercise has a reputation for making people fall in love, it's actually useful for anyone you want to feel more connected to, including family members, friends, and acquaintances. Before trying it, make sure both you and your partner are comfortable with sharing personal thoughts and feelings with each other. 
Find a time when you and your partner have at least 45 minutes free and are able to meet in person. For 15 minutes, take turns asking one another the questions in set one. Each person should answer each question, but in an alternating order so that a different person goes first each time. Example, question one is asked by person A and person B answers first followed by person A. Then question two is asked by person B for person A to answer first, and then person B gives their answer. Repeat this pattern for the entire exercise. After 15 minutes, move on to set two, even if you haven't yet finished the set one questions. Then spend 15 minutes on set two, following the same system. After 15 minutes on set two, spend 15 minutes on set three, Note, each set of questions is designed to be more probing than the previous one. The 15-minute periods ensure that you spend an equivalent amount of time at each level of self-disclosure. Set 1. Question 1. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? Question 2. Would you like to be famous? In what way? Question three. Before making a telephone call, do you ever rehearse what you're going to say? Why? Question four. What would constitute a perfect day for you? Question five. When did you last sing to yourself? When did you last sing to someone else? Question six. If you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30 year old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? Question seven. Do you have a secret hunch about how you will die? Question eight, name three things you and your partner appear to have in common. Question nine, for what in your life do you feel most grateful? Question 10, if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Question 11, take four minutes and tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. Question 12, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? Set two. Question 13, if a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? Question 14. Is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time? Why haven't you done it? Question 15. What is the greatest accomplishment of your life? 
Question 16. What do you value most in a friendship? Question 17. What is your most treasured memory? Question 18. What is your most terrible memory? Question 19. If you knew that in one year you would die suddenly, would you change anything about the way you are now living? Why? Question 20. What does friendship mean to you? Question 21. What roles do love and affection play in your life? Question 22. Alternate sharing something you consider a positive characteristic of your partner. Share a total of five items. Question 23. How close and warm is your family? Do you feel your childhood was happier than most other people's? Question 24. How do you feel about your relationship with your mother? Set three. Question 25. Make three true we statements each. For instance, we are both in this room feeling dot, dot, dot. Question 26. Complete the sentence. I wish I had someone with whom I could share dot, dot, dot. Question 27. If you're going to become a close friend with your partner, please share what would be important for them to know. Question 28. Tell your partner what you like about them. Be very honest this time, saying things that you might not say to someone you've just met. Question 29. Share with your partner an embarrassing moment in your life. Question 30. When did you last cry in front of another person? When did you last cry by yourself? Question 31. Tell your partner something that you like about them already. Question 32. What, if anything, is too serious to be joked about? Question 33. If you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone, what would you most regret not having told someone? Why haven't you told them yet? Question 34. Your house containing everything you own catches fire. After saving your loved ones and pets, you have time to safely make a final dash to save any one item. What would it be? Why? Question 35. Of all the people in your family, whose death would you find most disturbing? Why? Question 36. Share a personal problem and ask your partner's advice on how they might handle it. 
Also, ask your partner to reflect back to you how you seem to be feeling about the problem you've chosen. You can try this practice with different people you want to develop a deeper connection with. But if your answers start to feel routine, consider making up your own list of questions that become increasingly more personal. Two couples can also try this practice together, which has been shown to increase closeness between the couples in addition to enhancing closeness and passionate love within each couple. Deepening connection with others is important. This is one fun and interesting way to make that happen. Y'all, this season was about one of my most favorite topics ever, connection. I think we sometimes find ourselves becoming parents for the first or fourth time, and we might be a little or a lot freaked out about our ability to connect with our babies. Maybe because we never felt that connection within our own family when we were young. It's okay. Take a big breath and sigh it out, y'all. Because remember that becoming a parent means you get a chance to show up, not as a perfect parent, but a good enough parent. And by responding to your baby's needs, you create secure attachment and connection. And when you create that for them, you also meet those attachment and connection needs for yourself. This is what allows you to show up and connect with others in this real and powerful way that has, in my opinion, the potential to change the world in which we live in. So you know, no big deal. It's been my true pleasure and honor to connect with you all these past three seasons of Birth Happens. I'd love to hear what your favorite episodes were or what feedback you have for me. Intimacy, vulnerability, and connection are three themes that I feel are central to the life-transforming events of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. But do you have any themes you'd like me to explore? Are there people I should be interviewing for upcoming episodes? What about birth stories? Do you want to hear them? Would you like to tell yours? DM me any and all ideas. I'm listening. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening to Birth Happens, I'd love it if you'd share it with them. All three seasons can be found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Y'all are my personal heroes. And I want to do everything I can to support you. So let me know what you want for season four. And I'll see you then on Birth Happens. Birth Happens.